0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Julian Moore business development manager of Chess Dynamics. Chess Dynamics is a principal defense and aerospace subsystem supplier to the United Kingdom and overseas customers. Julian, hello. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you?
1: Someone who generates trust in the people around him. Someone who can get the best without asking from the people around him. And ultimately, having built that trust, someone who they will turn to.
0: And how do you foster that environment in your own team?
1: Um, From my perspective, um, I spent 32 years in the army. Um, I found that you would actually ask them the question, How would you do it? And if they would look at you blankly, then you would make a few suggestions. But ultimately, it's a case of trusting in that individual. He has a range of skills that you perhaps don't have. And it's giving him the enthusiasm, I suppose, to use those skills and know that he is going to be okay in doing so. Yes, we all have to make mistakes. But... um, you learn from your mistakes.
0: So it's making the team member feel more of a partner than a cog in a great machine.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, that the individual has to feel wanted. He has to feel appreciated. Mm-hmm. And he has to go away at the end of the day knowing that he's done a good job. He's got to go away happy. That's really what, 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 what I feel it boils down to.
0: Now, let's talk a bit about your time in the army. How has that informed the way that you lead today? Um,
1: I suppose it really started, um, oh, gracious me, um, back in Cambodia in 1992. Um, I had some Australians with me. We were basically um, all on our own. And it was a case of, um, I won't quite say make it up as you go along, but live by your wits. Ultimately, you develop a feeling of what is right. And if you can, um, go with your gut, I suppose, um, and say, that is good. That feels right. And... In doing so, engender that level of confidence in the people that either work for you or surround you. Um, it's it's contagious, uh, and so enthusiasm, I suppose, giving them the um, the opportunity to grow. Um, that's really what it, what leadership, I think, boils down to.
0: And do you try and pass this on to those who work underneath you at the moment?
1: Very, very very definitely. Um, I believe that delegation is the one key thing to um, give somebody confidence, particularly a young person. Um, You take them under your wing. You say, how would you do it? Yes, I agree with that. You suggest perhaps other ways if he's going a little bit off-piste. And in essence, that's really all, all it's about. He ends up doing a good job. He ends up being confident. He ends up, or she ends up, thinking, yes, I can do this. And Ultimately, that's that's really, really what you want, a confident individual and a confident workfor- workforce.
0: What's the advice that you give these young people who are looking to join your field?
1: Do your best. Don't worry if you make a mistake. Um... If you are uncertain, ask the question. And even however sort of ridiculous the question you may feel, don't be afraid to ask it. Ultimately, do not be afraid because um, if you bottle it up, then you're never going to learn. So be open, be honest, and really learn to think for yourself.
0: Now, those are all traits of a good leader. What separates a good leader from a bad one?
1: Ugh. I think probably communication. Someone who is unable to talk. Someone who... Um, I use the the, 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 um, the Maltese crawl, Someone who gathers everything to him and doesn't actually delegate. Mm-hmm. Um, the fear of not being able to trust your workforce is, um, I think, probably the, um, the single biggest attraction. And so I to say, if you've got something on your mind, come and talk about it. If you can't get it off your chest, then it's going to affect you, and it's going to affect the way you work, and it's going to affect your attitude towards your work. So come and talk. And equally, if there are things going on which need to be disseminated, disseminate them as quickly and as safely as possible.
0: So it's important to foster community atmosphere through communication.
1: Oh, uh, undoubtedly. And um, I I certainly believe that um, a good communicator will make a very good leader.
0: Now, going from good leaders, if you had to choose objectively the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be?
1: (laughs) I'm afraid to say I will be very predictable. Um, I think the two greatest leaders that um, I would consider would be Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher.
0: And what is it about their leadership styles that really inspire you?
1: Um, they had courage in their conviction. They believed entirely in what they were about. And they had the, the strength of character to see it, to see it through. Um... And really, it's bravery, it's courage, um, mm. and it's moral courage.
0: Do you find that you take inspiration from the two of them in your daily life?
1: Um, I wish I could be more like them, certainly. Um, do I take um, inspiration from I don't really think about it, but mm. when I'm being reflective, I just think... <sighs> I wish I could have done it better. I don't always go and say, how would they have done it? Because it or, or it, it almost trivializes um, th- their contribution. But uh, yes, I think that they are extremely worthy individuals and certainly worth, worth looking at, worth considering, and uh, worth reviewing your own actions against what they may have done.
0: Now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Chess Dynamics?
1: Um, I hope um, growth, not only in the size of the company, but in the revenue. And I really hope that we can do what we are, I think, extremely good at, which is finding solutions to difficult problems. And doing it quickly, doing it with the customer, and producing a solution that not only meets the immediate requirement, but is sound and enduring and basically satisfying so that we will see them again. Um, but like everything else, everyone else in the defense industry, um, we we... We, we, we look to our own and we just hope that uh, what we're doing actually meets with the approval and the satisfaction of naturally our, our Ministry of Defence and our security um, services.
0: Well, Julian, it's been very interesting to speak with you. I hope that you come back on the show very soon. Uh, and also, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. Julian, thank you.
1: Matthew, it's a great pleasure and thank you.
0: That was Julian Moore, Business Development Manager of Chess Dynamics. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Lord Blunkett.
2: Uh, We're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, It's always a pleasure. But uh, since we are talking around the theme of Leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is
3: leaving a post, what are your thoughts on
2: it so far?
3: Well, I think the party membership have got to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So... I'm I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, Mm. very able and presents extremely well. And I I hope that one of those two uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, There has been a lot of criticism,
2: especially from uh, four candidates a little further left um, than them, who have criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism.
3: Yes, I think it's really unfortunate Uh, particularly when new MPs come in, having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, we we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the, the future, and that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure Start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of, needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I can think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a a single nation just off the coast of Europe and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in. But how, how are we international? in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole, rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years, Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over 65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly. It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate should... change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us.
2: No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideology, certainly. And spe- speaking of your time uh, as home section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier?
3: Yes, I mean, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to Uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around for themselves. Small businesses have done that. The contribution to... Uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th- those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We we are mm. dependent on each other.
2: Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin it, um, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function.
3: Completely. I I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders... In a different vein, I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister... conglomerating, I suppose you would call it, plagiarising thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans Mm. after the game.
2: Well, everyone knows, uh, David. You know you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know.
3: Can't be easy
2: having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after. No, week.
3: I, it isn't. Although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very about good about Sheffield United in the Premier League because it it it's change. It does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City. Then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world, so that's good. I I, I could cry sometimes. We can we can beat uh, Brighton Premier League side in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them two nil in January. And then you can lose. And then you lose five ten. nil <laughs> at home to Blackburn, and half the fans were out of the ground by, by the half time. What, what would
2: a manager Blunkett say in this situation? I,
3: I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field, they walked instead of ran? They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously, and if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened, who knows, something during the morning before the game started, something may have gone sour, you get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never never do this again. Yeah,
2: well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute, um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick perhaps the more ambitious, the more uh, 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 people uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Assistant? Well,
3: I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which as we record this podcast has not yet happened Mm. and I imagine I I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world you can pronounce on what you're going to do but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it. If they're just toadies by the way, and there is a tendency, a new Mm -hmm. Prime Minister, large majority got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them but get able people in. I I, I won't comment on some of the less able but there are (laughs) clearly (laughs) in the Cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, um, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If but Part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination, rather than sitting on the sofa for a, a, an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't, don't do not it. Without a doubt.
2: Yeah. Uh, that's And also, I should add, that is how these uh, all stripes earn that respect in the first place.
3: But there is a question, isn't and there? I try and answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them, either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why.
2: Quite. Uh, <laughs> the... Um, And I think one of the great things about uh, the Leeds Council especially is that um, it takes and talks to people, again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether as leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary, when people are looking at you for
3: leadership, where do you get your strength from? I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you. Whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The the second is the satisfaction you get back, because you do from seeing things change for the better You you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about, and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors, and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics. You, you're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education... And employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a read over in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognize, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> a, because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure. And I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel, it will take people a lot further than the the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, in the very, in uh, the couple of minutes we have left,
2: um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions, perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour leadership contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield Wednesday finish in the league?
3: Lord above, I'm not. I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January, 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got a got off to a very very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach those parts of the. Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post who can be persuaded that what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019 uh, and that that's got to be Lisa nandi or here on on the um the, the next few months I think that the government will probably do quite well I, I I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment as though. Alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers. But I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment. And that will be reflected in relationships, in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and, and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off, but I am really reluctant.
2: And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blanket, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless
0: you, Jonathan. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye.